Now, <clears throat> I've been looking at uh, 1 Kings 17. Well, I looked at it last week, and we're going to look at a bit more of it this week. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Kings 17. Most of the verses I refer to will eventually go on the PowerPoint, um, <clears throat> and I'll try and give you an indicator when, uh, because I'm sometimes a bit unpredictable, I know, guys, with that. But uh, Nevertheless, it's good to have the Bible open and it's good for you to read it in a moment when I read through. Just to say, last week we looked at Elijah, man of faith, and this week we're going to be looking at the widow of Zarephath, who is the other character in this particular incident in the Word of God, which is pretty well the whole of chapter 17. I'm just going to start reading in a moment from verse 7. But just to say, as a, a background for this, last week and this week, it's not the only thing I'm talking about, of course, uh, but just a little bit of a background for us as a church, is that we have a major gift day in February, on the 7th and 14th of February. We're looking to collect an offering which I'm really praying will be at least £70,000. Now, we've been, as a church, and I say we because I've joined you, Marion and I, in the last eight years, but... Actually, some of you have been working longer on it than that. We've been running with this project of buying this building and refurbishing it for, I think it's 12 or 13 years. And God's really provided amazingly all the way through. In actual fact, we haven't had to go to the bank at all. We are uh, owing some interest-free loans, which is what we're going to pay off with this gift day. But that is the very last little bit of a marathon that some people have been engaged in to, to set up here a place for worship, a place to serve the community, a place to reach out to the community from. There's lots going on in here. Uh, if you were at our prayer meeting, you noticed a list of things happening here. Big events, but also small things, things like the soup service, which now is working on Thursday evenings from here, uh, things like the Middlebrook Cafe, there's all sorts of uh, various other activities here. Those are by no means the only ones, apart from what we do here as it were a church altogether and we do occasionally uh, hire it out which I, th- I see as not merely a matter of raising some funds which it certainly wouldn't sniff at that and don't but is a means of sort of engaging with the community around often it is local people who are in here it might be NHS or probation service or something like that who may hire it for a, a day or a morning and we serve them and get to know them Brian Leatham doing a superb job on that so we want to finish off This project, we've already, well, the whole project cost £3,576,111. And we've got that 70000 to go. So we've already done over £3.5 presumably, 111. And we're looking for that last 70000 to repay some loans we have, interest-free loans. Actually, to be strictly honest with you, one or two of those loans are sort of internal That is, that we have used money from our own giving fund and other funds to meet some bills on the building. So I think it works out at over 50,000 of interest-free loans outside of, say, the church itself. But there are pots, if you like, that we really want to replenish. I think that's about 19,000 of it, which are very important because we put the money aside to give and we've used it for cash flow. So this really is a case of getting on an even keel, getting the thing done and dusted and finished. And let's pray that we get £70,000. Amen? So that's what we're looking for. If we get a bit more than that, we'll give it away. And, uh, you know, that would be like going right through the finishing tape. Please let's not creep exhausted. Let's run through. (laughs) Amen? Good. 
Let's start now at 1 Kings 17, verse 7, because what we're going to look at is the widow of Zarephath. We're going to learn some things for our own lives out of this, and it will be relevant to some aspects of what we're doing as a church. Okay, verse 7. Elijah was at Kerith last week. This is what happened. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This widow lived in Zarephath. Well, we've seen that. You might not know where that is, but quickly I'll give you a brief geography lesson. And it probably won't help too much. But it's about 100 miles north of what we would think of Israel today. It's probably about 80 miles north from where uh, Elijah was in Kerith, which is in more Samaria, as it became later known. And so he'd moved about 80 miles north. Now, the key thing about Zarephath is that it's about eight miles outside of a city called Sidon, which was the centre of a kingdom, the king of Sidon. Now, the king of Sidon was a guy called Ethbal. And the thing about Ethbal was that he was the father of Jezebel, who some of you, if you know your Bibles, will know is the wife of Ahab, who is the king of Israel. And Jezebel has made sure that Israel is full of temples to Baal. In fact, she is systematically getting rid of worship of the true and living God and establishing Baal worship, which was pretty grotesque, to be honest. And uh, she's actually killing some of the prophets, other prophets of the living God. 
So she is a very aggressive Baal worshipper and I think we can assume her father was as well. So actually, Elijah has gone right into enemy territory. It's a very curious thing what God's led him to do. But also it's curious that the person who's going to supply him with his food through this famine is actually not an Israelite woman, it's a local woman, a Sidonian woman, a Gentile. And she is the widow of Zarephath. She's a widow, she seems to have just one child, it's a bit hard to say it, that's absolutely so, but obviously this son is very precious to her. Now we're going to look at the lessons, we're just going to look at probably three broad lessons from this dear lady, and we're going to learn a bit about her. The first thing I want to talk about is her journey of faith. Now that's a bit of a modern phrase, but it's a valid phrase. Many of us, most of us, when we came to know Jesus, did not go through just one isolated experience. We knew nothing, we came to a day when we suddenly understood it all. There are a few people, it's like that, but even when you look into their lives, you often realise there was a bit of a run-up to that event, and there was certainly a process afterwards. That is perfectly normal. In coming to faith in Jesus Christ, coming to know the living God, you will go through stages. I believe this woman is an example of that. She does have a sort of journey of faith. And we're just going to quickly look at some of the verses. Let's look verse 9 first of all. God speaking to Elijah says, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, that means that this woman already had some understanding of God. She isn't completely, totally ignorant of God or of who Elijah is, actually. When he turns up, there are struggles, but it's not like she's completely blank. It's God has already begun to speak to her. And God says to Elijah, there's a woman in that area who is getting ready to serve you and serve me. So she had some Somehow, sort of understanding of God. Then if we look at verse 12, look at her reaction to Elijah. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, etc., etc. I won't even read the whole verse. But look at her phrasing. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Now, she got to a point where she really, I think, isn't particularly impressed by Baal. This is me guessing, but it would seem so. And she says, I know you worship the living God. The Lord your God lives. But it's not my God. The Lord your God lives. It's not personal. She's interested. She's probably coming to faith. But it's the Lord your God lives. Now, I think there are people like that probably in this room. There are certainly people in the circle of our church that might come to Alpha and things where you go through this process where you think, I really see this means a lot to you. I see there's something real to you, but it's the Lord your God. And uh, there's that sort of stage that she's at. Well, the next verse is verse 15. Elijah tells her that God can provide for her and for him. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. She experiences something of the power of God. She experiences something of the grace of God. She actually has her own little faith experience. And it's a fairly significant one, to be honest. And she takes quite a step of faith. It's pretty radical, actually. And she says, okay, I hear the word of the Lord from you, and uh, I'll do what you say. And God begins to meet all her needs. So that's quite exciting. Things are quite positive, I would think, for her. And she welcomes Elijah. He seems to have a sort of prophet's room in the top of her house. 
and life goes on for a little while. Then a tragedy strikes. We're obviously not going to read it all, but in verses 17 to 23, we're told how she comes to a terrible personal crisis. Her beloved little son dies. Now that is also quite common that we start this journey, we get into things, we get quite interested, maybe we sort of half commit ourselves or do one or two things that are a little bit like moving towards Jesus and suddenly it seems everything goes wrong. Sometimes all hell breaks loose. What's this? I'm, I'm blessing the prophet, I've welcomed him into my house, I'm sort of acknowledging his God and living with his God and, and living with him, having him living here and honouring his God and suddenly my child dies. And you can feel her pain and her anger in verse 18. We'll put it up. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? That's her anger and her pain. And it's very real. She suddenly says, What's this all about? You know, what, what are you, I thought you were a man of God. And look at that telling phrase. Did you come to remind me of my sin? How I'd love to know what that's about, wouldn't you? There's something big in her that she is conscious of her sin. I mean, is this child a product of some illicit relationship? Perhaps I'm over-imagining. There's something in her life that she is guilty about. And somehow in this moment of anguish and crisis, she seems to assume she's being punished for her sin. How common is that? I've even heard that amongst some of you. One or two. I think it's happening. I must have done something wrong. Have you, you know, is this all about my sin? Why has my child died? And you know, it's so easy to think that. God, God's punishing me. That's why I've hit a disaster. Again, on this journey of faith, it's not uncommon. There's suddenly a crisis, something goes wrong. People say, well, I thought it was God would have done this and he did that. And, and oh, maybe I, you know, and, and there's a sort of, sort of twisted logic in there. Is this all about my sin? Well, it isn't. It's, it's not here. She is actually going to experience the grace of God again and again. She's already experienced it, actually. She's going to experience it again. And Jesus is going to use her as an example of the grace of God, which we'll see in a minute. And he refers to her in Luke 4. So actually, she's not being punished for her sin. It's a mystery. I can't explain all suffering to you. But actually, God is going to turn it for good. And somehow, out of this crisis comes a glorious breakthrough. And that also is often true. That as she doesn't really give up, she expresses her anger, she expresses her pain, she doesn't kick Elijah out of the house, she doesn't really give up. And Elijah says, give me the child, and she gives him the child. And Elijah himself has his battle of faith, which is not our story today. And he prays, he's a righteous man, he's prayed for the rain to stop. Now he prays, God, heal this boy and raise him up. And God does. And the boy is healed. And now, look at verse, after the end of the story, verse 24, and look at her language there. It is different. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now, I don't think this is just about Elijah. I think you're a wonderful person. She now knows something. She now knows for herself. How different from as the Lord your God lives. So she says, now I know. It's personal. And she's really saying, your God's a true God. I know that what you bring, the word of the Lord, is the truth. 
Now, that's the point you've all got to get to. Many of you have. Some of you haven't yet. You've got to go beyond. This is great. I understand. Oh, good. Then you hit a crisis. Ah! You've got to work through these things to your personal faith. Now, I know Jesus is Lord. You can do that. Sometimes you think, well, I can never. You can. You can go from the Lord your God to now I know. And it does happen. It's happened to scores of us. We say, I know Jesus for myself. I've committed my life to him. Now I know that it's the truth. And you know, sometimes it's hard to explain why you know. Obviously she had a concrete experience. But but actually the feeding of, you know, the food in the jar and the jug was pretty good. That's pretty spectacular. But there's something more personal that's happened to her. And that's what we all need. It's no good just being interested and respectful and the Lord your God. You need to know. You need to know it's the truth. And you can put your own faith in Jesus and know him for yourself. I pray you do, even as I'm talking today. Let's go on to the second thing, because she's an example of the grace of God. And that's a very important thing. She gives us an example of the journey of faith. Now she's an example of the grace of God. She is actually a Bible signpost to something very profound. We sang about the grace of God in our last song in the worship. And it's a very important principle, if you don't understand it. It's this principle, that you will never earn things from God. You don't get things from God by being good, doing the right thing, trying to get it right. God's blessings are grace blessings. You actually don't deserve anything, nor do I. But God has offered freely to you magnificent salvation. All your sins forgiven, made a child of God, know him as father, eternal life and so much more. So much more. And it's all of grace. And this woman is an example, a prophetic signpost of grace. I can say that with total confidence. We haven't time to read it, but for yourself, read Luke 4 sometime. In Luke 4, Jesus comes and says what his mission is. Jesus is the fulfilment of this grace. He is the grace of God amongst us. And he is bringing in the new covenant era, which thank God we're in, which is the covenant of grace. Now, this lady is one of many in the Old Testament that point towards that. Naaman, Ruth, Rahab, and this woman. They are totally outside of Israel. They don't have any reason to deserve anything, and yet God blesses them and meets their needs. They are showing us that God's heart has always been for everyone in the world, and actually has always been for the poor and the oppressed, and continues to be. And so when Jesus speaks in Luke 4, he talks about that the anointing of God is on him to bring uh, you know, good news to the poor, to, to release the captives, heal the lame and the blind. It's that famous passage, if you know your Bible. And he announces what he's here to do. The kingdom of God is about this. I've come to bring this. It's being fulfilled today, he says. And he says it to the Nazareth congregation at the synagogue. All very committed Jewish people. And then Jesus goes a little further and says... This is going to be like the widow of Zarephath. Now, I won't get into that. It's a separate sermon. But basically, he says, she is a pointer to what's happening in this age. That actually, the people who will benefit are those who know their need and are receiving God's grace. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, it will be the same. It'll be just by the grace of God. And he proclaims this wonderful year of favour, the year of jubilee, releasing the captives, Healing, physical, psychological, spiritual, wholeness. It's a wonderful thing about the new covenant Jesus brings. 
But the sad thing is, in Luke 4, the Israelite congregation, the congregation at Nazareth, got so angry when he talked about this woman. That's what got them going when he talked about her because they knew he was saying it's not about being a Jew, it's about being open to the grace of God. They knew he was saying grace is for you, it's also for the Gentiles, just like it was then. And they got so angry they tried to kill Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. He just miraculously walked away because it wasn't time for him to die. But there's a tragic challenge here and I'm speaking to all of you who are Christians and if you've been a Christian a long time and if you've been a pretty good committed Christian for a long time and I'm in that category just be careful be careful that you're not offended by the grace of God you can be offended at the grace of God you can think how on earth can God be good to someone like this she's a bar worshipper she comes from Sidon and you're saying, Jesus, that she was the one that was blessed by the grace of God, not one of the Israelite widows. And Jesus makes it very clear and really rubs it in their face a little bit like he's inclined to. That it wasn't any widow in Israel, it was a widow. Now he's making a point. And that point is still true for all of us. The longer you go on as a Christian, the more you have to be sensitive to the grace of God. Don't get into self-righteousness. Don't get into pride. Don't get into, I'm really here because I'm quite good. I deserve what I get. We're, you see, we get very offended at grace because it's not fair by human standards. We don't like its unfairness. We don't like its irreligious angle. It's irreligious. This isn't following any religious rules. He's already been fed by ravens. Now he's fed by a pagan widow, for goodness sake. What sort of rules is he following? He's following God's rules. He's following the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't any things about righteousness and holiness. But it does mean that the grace of God is a huge and all-embracing issue. And we must always keep dependent on the grace of God, remembering that we deserve nothing, that we are all sinners. We know we are. Without the grace of God, we're riddled with it. We're riddled with obvious sins like lust and lying and greed. And we're riddled with less obvious ones like pride and envy and selfishness. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve healing. We don't deserve breakthrough like this woman had and provision. It's all by the grace of God, isn't it? And it always will be. And I've been a Christian for f- over 40 years. Goodness knows how long, 44, 45 years. And it's still by the grace of God. I don't stand here because, well, now I've done really well and kept my nose clean for so many years. That's not how it is. Don't be offended at the grace of God. Don't be offended at the people God blesses and brings into the church and has a tender heart for. He's always got a heart for the broken and the needy. And they're not always apparently broken either. It's sometimes inside more than outside. So the grace of God is wonderfully foreshadowed here, but we live in the fulfilment of it, which is this age of grace, the new covenant, where Jesus has manifested the grace of God in a way far beyond these prophetic pictures. Amen? So the final point I want to look at, and it's a little longer, is she also teaches us about Bible economics. She teaches us about this journey of faith. She is a big pointer signpost to the grace of God. But she also teaches us about Bible economics. And I want you to listen carefully, because they are profound truths that are repeated again and again through the Word of God. She experiences God's miraculous provision 
through her faith demonstrated by her radical giving. Now just get into your head, that is Bible economics. She experiences amazing provision through her own faith, which is demonstrated by her radical giving. And really, that is a biblical principle from Genesis to Revelation. If this poor widow had not been obedient to God's word, brought to her by Elijah, if she'd not been prepared to give first, I'm fizzing, I might explode. If she'd not been prepared to give first to the man of God, she would not have experienced the miracle that resulted in her provision. I can swap to one of these other microphones, shall I? Okay, it's fine, is it? I'll keep going. Now, I just want you to get that very clear in your mind because it's a startling lesson in faith, obedience and God's provision. Actually, I would go further and say this woman is a lesson, I'm going to try and use my words carefully but I can't think how else to put it, in how to break a poverty spirit. How to break bondage to need. Now, I'm not exaggerating, she is a demonstration of that herself. In Bible economics... Just hear this fact. You give to receive. You give to receive. Holding on to what you have in fear or in greed is a path to nowhere in the Bible. It applies to money and possessions, which is actually what she's dealing with, really. But it actually applies to lots of other things. If you lack friends, you need to give yourself in friendship to other people. Don't sit in some prison of your own fear and shyness, wondering who's going to speak to you. If you lack in any area in life, in the Bible economic terms, in the, in the kingdom of God, you give to receive. That is how you break out of your prison. That's always the way through. And in her case, it's very practical. And holding on to, in fear is not the answer. Even when you face bankruptcy or destitution, This woman is facing starvation and destitution. You need to find something legitimately you can give to God. I would never encourage you to give and get yourself deeper into debt with what you give. You need to do business with God. But if you are facing financial meltdown, if you are working on kingdom principles, you need to find a way to give something to fight back and break out of your prison. That is an absolute truth if you're moving in the kingdom of God. That is how it works. What happens is that you focus then on the Lord. God is my source. Instead of saying, this tiny little barrel of meal is my hope, you say, God is my hope. I've given away half my meal. God is my hope. And of course he turns up. And God provides. Because you've moved onto a different way of thinking. Now I want to briefly unpack this with just highlighting a few lessons that we learned sort of from her. Here's one, honour God with your wealth. That's a principle we find in scripture. And actually, what does it mean to honour God with your wealth? Well, this lady demonstrates it. Give him the first fruits. Give him the first bit. It comes out in Proverbs 3.9, which is not on the screen, we missed that one. It says, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Brothers and sisters, we must learn not to tip God 
and to give out of what's left over when we've covered every base for ourselves and we feel perfectly comfortable. I'm fed, my son's fed, everybody else is fed, now I'll give a little bit to God. This woman, first of all, gave a cake to Elijah. That is hard, but that was right. She, first of all, gave a bit to Elijah before she fed her son. You say, oh, this is uncomfortable. Yes, it's uncomfortable. This is offensive. Yes, it's offensive. Imagine the Sunday papers getting hold of this story. Preacher takes widow's last meal. But it was actually the way through. Because she did do it in faith. She responded to the word of God and she went with it. And so her first act was to make a cake for Elijah. There is a principle there. We must learn to give to God from the top and not the bottom of our resources. Amen? Very important. God promises to meet all our needs. That's the next one. The second part almost of that truth in Proverbs. Proverbs 3 verse 10 says, it says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's a biblical principle. It's in the Old and the New Testament. God says, I will meet your needs when you seek first my kingdom. All these things will be added unto you. And it's scary, but it's how it works. You've got to learn, if you're a real Christian going on with God, to do this. You've got to learn to put God first, to step out and then let him meet your need. Scripture after scripture promises it. Now, it's a faith issue, and it is a way out of real bondage. It's not a way out you can do it like a a little magic thing, like... uh, uh, you know, you've got to be careful. If you've ever seen real idolatry, and you will have done if you go through India uh, in places, you know, in some aspects there, you'll see people do a little token to the God expecting, and that would be true of any uh, uh, idolatrous religion across the world, but I've, that's the place I've seen it, a little token. So you might burn a, a little thing, uh, maybe, I don't know, a symbolic thing, and looking for something back. It's a sort of superstition thing. It comes up all over the place, probably in our own country in all sorts of ways. This is not about that. This is about a faith looking to God for provision and saying, here's the first fruits. It all comes from your hands. It's you who are my provider. So I honour you, Lord, with what I've got. And I say, Lord, please continue to be my provider. It's from your hand I receive everything. It is a faith action. Because it's faith, we need to look at the word of God. We're not going to do more than read them. I'm going to flash up on the screen and you're, you and I are going to read together some scriptures that emphasise this principle because I want it deeply seated into our thinking. And faith comes by the word of God. So the word of God engenders in you, oh right, I believe this, this is how it works. They're familiar scriptures, but let's read them together. Could you put up Malachi 3, 10, 11? Let's read this together, okay? We'll see if we can manage that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty." There's a lot in that verse, including the way God provides is not always exactly as we anticipate. Certainly Elijah found that. In other words, God says, I will protect your crops. He wasn't merely that he would give them great dumps of sort of free food, but he would bless them. It's a holistic thing. He would bless them and provide for them. 
That is one of many scriptures. Let's read one that Jesus, this is Jesus' words. Luke 6, verse 38. Let's read it together. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is Jesus, those are Jesus' words. The next one we won't read together because it's too long. But I felt I needed to put the background in. We'll read the one after this. Here's Philippians 4, verses 14 to 17. Now, this is a context for the next bit. Paul is writing to them. He said, so you don't need to read this with me. It was good of you to share in my troubles. As you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. And then he says, not that I'm looking for a gift, I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. That last phrase. He, these people were extremely generous to Paul, the man of God, giving to God, giving to his man. And God says, you've somehow credited something to your spiritual account. Now, that's probably a spiritual thing, but I think it's also got a practical issue of provision. Because in the next part of that passage, which we will read together, verses 18 and 19, Paul goes on to say this. Let's read this together. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So there's a promise that this giving of practical stuff, money basically, to keep Paul going, was actually a fragrant offering to God, something that pleased God. And Paul says with great confidence out of his own experience, my God will meet all your needs as a result of that. And the last one, which encapsulates it all so clearly, is from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. Let's read this together. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love that passage and I hold on to it. Mary and I have lived with that for years, decades. I believe that if you put God first with your possessions, you will find God does this. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will have enough to abound in good work or to be generous, as it says later in the same passage. These are important scriptures. One so wouldn't read them together. They are how we are to live in honouring God. We need to live by them. We need to think them through, plan them, and do it in faith. It's not merely giving to get. It's freely, generously, as it says in that last thing, freely, of your own accord, giving to God, but seeing him provide for you as a result. The picture in the Bible is of sowing and reaping, which is the next phrase. It's of sowing and reaping, and it's a common picture about this, actually. God is not like a slot machine. You don't put something in and immediately get something out. It really doesn't work like that. But it does work like sowing and reaping, which is you throw out a handful of seed, which you lose, 
And if you wait patiently in faith, you find you get a harvest back. There's a time lag. There's a patience element. There's a lot of patience linked with faith. By faith and patience, patience and faith, you inherit the promises. If you get into fear, you'll go out and dig the seed up before it's had a chance to grow. Or you can poison it with your moaning and complaining and fear. You have to water it with your prayer. This is really a sowing and reaping thing. You can spoil it even when you've thrown it out. You can scrape around and see if you can get a bit back. Or you can sow, uh, sort of sow acidic complaints and worries and fears that you almost kill the thing off. You need to give freely and then pray and in faith wait for God's provision. Patience going with faith. That's a biblical problem, uh, uh, picture all the way through the Bible. And what I'm saying, I mean, you could be cynical. You could say, oh, we heard you've got a gift day. I know what you're after. You're after our money. If you never come to this church again, if you never give a penny to this church, this principle is vitally important for you. It doesn't matter what you give. I am not interested just in that. This is a principle which is far more fundamental to the Christian experience. And it's vital you get hold of it right now. God does work this way in your life. And actually, it is so radical that if you are facing a huge financial crisis, it's relevant to you. So I can't be in... No, this is exactly what happened with the widow. It's even more relevant, if I dare say that. I believe it's somehow a way out of poverty. Now, you have all sorts of complexities that I can't address from the platform. You could say I'm married to someone who doesn't follow Jesus and they won't be interested if I give their money away. Well, you have to sort this out yourself. You have to work out what is your bit of belongings. What's your jar of meal? And then you start honouring God with what you have control over. You make the sacrifice, not your unsaved partner. It's your sacrifice, not theirs. You've got to work out how, what is your jar of meal and what's your way of going out on a limb with God. And that's how you'll break through. I have proved it in my life many times. It does work. And I'm telling you something that's fundamental to your walk with God. This dear widow is a superb example as we come towards an end. She's a superb example of all sorts of things. Of course, all the way through what I've been saying, really. But I want you just to notice a few things quickly as I close. Do you notice the strange way God provided for Elijah? He provided for him by getting a poor widow to give her last meal to him. But thereby, God managed to bless Elijah and the widow. Now, this is typical God. If you live in boxes and in logical rationality, you're going to have an uncomfortable time walking with God. Because he does keep jumping out the box and he doesn't work on our logic. So what he's done is he's provided for Elijah and the widow and provided a miracle, but he's done it in an odd way. This is not the first choice of Elijah or the widow, but it's the way God works. Christians, loosen up and let God be God. Let God be God. It's an important lesson. God loves to show his glory by proving that it's not our means, it's his means. That's what he does here. And God loves to do that. So that is uncomfortable because we love to show that it's my way. I did it my way and nobody else and I'm a self-made person. I'm clever. I'm wise. I invest wisely. I've got lots of money and I'm an important person because I provide for me. Well, you're on a heading to a crisis 
Because God loves to show it's me, not you. And so he loves to find ways of doing that. So it's best to go with the flow and let God do that. And one way is to give, start giving him away. All right, God, well, if it's you, give me some more. And, you know, it's true. It's just a lesson to learn as you observe this dear woman. Both are blessed. God's not trying to rob her. He's going to bless her. Here's another principle. God seems to have to have something to work on. He doesn't provide for you by magicking, magicking, magicking out of nothing. He always seems to work on our little faith bit. Think of the feeding of the 5,000. Why did he need the boy's lunch, for goodness sake? One little boy had to give his lunch away. I bet he was, I mean, I've got grandsons. They get jolly hungry. I tell you, he gave his five loaves, his five fish and two loaves? Got the wrong way around. But anyway, he got his five fish and his two loaves, and he had to give them to Jesus. That meant he didn't eat them, didn't he? Not that point. He got some later. And it's always, you think, how, why did Jesus need this little boy's lunch to feed 5,000? Why couldn't he just go kaboom? And they all had a packed lunch on their lap. Because God is not a magician. He's real. And he works with us. And he works with our faith. And he works on something. And it's true with this little woman. She had to, he had to have something to work on, if I can put it that way. She gave a bit away and God replaced it. Gave a bit away, God replaced it. And it was like that with this feeding the 5,000. I think as they gave it away, they had more. It wasn't a, this woman, even the provision, this is another lesson, these are all lessons. The provision wasn't, she gave him a, a cake and she went back home and wow, there were six 20 kilo bags of flour and look, six full jars of oil. Oh, no worries for the next six months. Great, relax. No, no, it didn't happen like that. Every day she had to believe God. It was always enough for her needs and for Elijah's needs, but she walked daily in the excitement and the drama of, I've made the food, I wonder what's going to be there in the morning. Oh, there's more tomorrow. And that is how God works. It's a continuous miracle. It's naturally supernatural. It's not kaboom and there's the larder full of sacks of flour because I've done the magic formula and sprinkled the dust. It doesn't work like that. This is much more real. Jesus says, I've healed you. Get up and walk. So I'll get up when I know I'm healed. No, get up. Oh, okay. Oh, I can get up. Stretch out your hand. I can't. Stretch out your hand. Oh, it's healed. It always works like that. That's how faith works. That's how tongues work. Oh, that's a surprise to you. What God speaking tongues? Why doesn't he make me? We start speaking. You don't understand. God works with your bit of faith. That's how he does everything. He has to have something to work on. So that's what he does with this dear woman. We've got several sermons coming out my ears. I know it's happening. And she had to realize that giving to God meant giving to God's man. And it's, it's nice to have this theory, I give to God. But actually, this Israelite prophet, who is Israel, and I'm a Sidonian, who I don't really know, I've got to give him this cake. I mean, she probably did. Listen, she probably didn't feel that good about it. She clearly struggled. I mean, she, her little boy says, oh, you're making a cake, mum. Yes, I'm making it for the Israelite prophet who I met today. Oh, that's not e- easy, is it? Faith isn't feelings. Faith is not feeling good. It's doing the right thing and obeying God. It's not what you feel. It's doing stuff. Faith is action. And she gave by giving to God's person. That's another biblical principle. When you look in the Bible about giving, people give to people. They give 
probably two broad categories. They give to God's servants, that's Old and New Testament, laying it at apostles' feet in the New Testament, giving it for the priests and Levites in the Old, or people like Elijah, prophets, and they give to the poor. That's basically how you give to God. You don't give to God by burning it in front of an idol or stuffing it in a rocket and firing it in the sky. You give to God by giving to God's servants broadly and the poor. You could add you give to the kingdom, to to extend the kingdom, which I think you can see in both Old and New Testament. That's how you give to God. You do real things with your money, but it's costly. She made a real cake and gave it to a real man. That's what she did. And that was her giving to God. That's how it works. And God then comes in on it and does some amazing, miraculous things. You've got to learn to move radically with God if you're going to see breakthrough and see miracles, which this dear lady did. And here is the final point, and I think it's amazing. This dear woman had the privilege of living a miracle every day for probably months, if not years, until the rain started again. She just lived the miracle every day. But there's more. She also played a part in God's much larger purposes. She had a part to play in the restoration that Elijah was involved. She kept Elijah alive. She was part of God's strategy with Elijah, which was part of a much bigger plan to restore things in Israel. And it's even bigger than that, because Jesus mentions her in Luke 4. And John Groves is preaching about her 3,000 years later. How good is that? This dear woman not only had the miracle, she became part of a huge plan of God. She was honoured. She's in the Bible. Jesus refers to her as a, a godly example. And we still look at her as something to learn from. We're all learning from her this morning. Now, in heaven, she knows all about that, as you will in heaven. Who knows what you do with your bit you give? See, you think, oh, it's only a little bit, and you can be very short-sighted. I'm giving it to this odd prophet. Don't, you don't know what God's doing. I'm giving it to this building in Winchester. But if your heart is right, it, it's all about the giving. When Jesus saw the, little, the widow giving two mites, he wasn't talking about the amount or even the, particularly the temple. It was her heart he was interested in, and her, that she was giving it to God. And so that's how he still sees it. It's all about... It's not about what, who do I give it to, what do they do with it. Da, 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 da. You can't always see all that. But if God's told you to do it, you do it. Elijah didn't screw this out of this woman by pressurizing her. He knew God had spoken to her. I need not my glass off. He knew God had spoken to her. He knew that. And so he just helped her. Now, I, I'm, this, is, this is really the last point. It really is this time. I'm not going to screw money out of you. I just want you to hear from God. And what I'm doing this morning is all that Elijah did. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you to understand how to live as a Christian. It's not just about a gift day. It's how we live. Now, that's my role. It's over to you now to obey God and do what he tells you to do. Amen?